what we want to focus on for the next few weeks is going through Revelation chapter 20 and 21 to talk about, um, to talk about what we're so excited about, to talk about what this is all, all about, what this is all leading to. Uh, the fancy phrase that you, you learn in seminary is called the culmination of the ages. Doesn't that sound fancy, right? That's, a, that's like a kingdom word, culmination of the... Like everything that has been going on is finally meeting its completion, its, its fulfillment. All of this stuff, all of life, all of the generations, all of the history is finally being completed. And we catch a glimpse of that, just a glimpse of it. Uh, sort of like out of the corner of your eye, glimpse of it in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 20 and 21. Today we're going to talk about chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting that the last song that we just sang is, is, is I See Mercy. I See Mercy. We look at God and we see mercy. And my sermon today is about judgment. <laughs> Paul and I did not communicate well. Uh, no, uh, but it's, actually, it's actually quite apropos. And my, my hope is that today, as we talk about the judgment scene of God, that you actually see the mercy that's there. Because everything that God does is good, for God is good. And so it's important that we as Christians at least grasp that, that goodness, um, even where it seems like perhaps goodness uh, is, is, is absent. It's also interesting that I was going to talk about judgment, because yesterday as I was driving up from Tennessee, um, the winds were so strong that I was actually holding the wheel like this to keep myself on the road. And as, we were, as Todd and I were driving by, we saw two full semis just laid out in the road. So it is a miracle I made it. There was a, a rock slide on 75 that took out half of the, left, the right half of 75. It was just a crazy day. Um, and so, uh, so we are here and we are alive and everything is wonderful, right? All right, let's look at verse 11 today. Begin with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. I just want to let that sit with you for a second and think about that imagery. If there's one thing that you could be sure of when you go to bed and wake up in the morning, it's that when you bring your feet off the bed and you put them down, what are you going to land on? The floor, right? I mean, the floor is there. And when you walk outside of your house, you're going to see earth and sky. I hate flying. How many, can I get an amen? Like, flying is, is, is the worst. I hate it. Uh, especially the moment where you're in the air and you look out. I have to have the window seat, which is really weird. Like, you hate flying, but I have to see. Like, I have to see my own demise. Like, I just have to see it coming. And, and you're up in the air, and, and I can't see anything but sky. It's just so disconcerting to me. If, as long as I can see the ground and I can see the sky, even if I'm, like, you know, 10,000 feet up in the air, I can, as long as I can see that horizon, I'm sort of, like, sure of something. You know what I mean? But... I know in the morning when I get up, there's going to be ground under my feet, and I can look up, and there's going to be sky, and that's sort of a, a constant in the universe. But here we see, at the very end of all things, all things have coming to their completion. It's sort of all coming to an end. The story is, is wrapping up. We're in the, the last chapter, and the, the only thing that we see is the throne of God. 
The earth which you counted on, the earth which was under your feet has fled. There's no place for it anymore. The sky which you look up to, your whole life you've seen stars or clouds or, or snow if you're in Michigan, is, is gone. Everything you knew has vanished. And the only thing that you can see and know and recognize is the throne and he who is seated on it. And it all, as I imagine it, makes the bottom of my feet sweat. Like, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? All the comforts have been stripped away. And as we'll see as we continue on, all of the secrets will be stripped away as well. What does the throne stand for? What does the throne mean? The throne, uh, for us, we might think of maybe a, a judge's bench. A judge's bench. You go before a judge, and, and the judge hears the evidence, and the judge declares a sentence. It was very similar in those days for the king. The king, you would come before the king, and the king would hear the case. You'd hear you know, uh, the, the, ad, the, the accuser, and you might defend yourself. You might bring witnesses and all those sorts of things. That You'd go before the king, and the king would, would declare an answer. Only what's so interesting about kingship versus judges is that kings, uh, not only do they make the judicial decision, but they also execute them, don't they? Judge, jury, executioner, all in one. And that's what we see in this throne sequence. We see the one authority, the one constant, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the um, uh, ever-present God. And there he is. And there we are. This sudden and overwhelming thing has happened. Verse 12. And I saw the dead. Great and small Standing before the throne, and the books, the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's very interesting, isn't it? To me, what I want you to get out of this story is, is surprise. Like, what I love about Revelation is the surprise factor. Every time I think I know what's going to happen next, I read the next line and say, I didn't know that was going to happen next, right? I mean, that's just, that's what's so great about Revelation. Every time there's something new, like I could tell you the story of Jesus and you're like, I've heard that before. I could tell you the story of how he's crucified. You say, I heard that before. Revelation opens up and he says, I saw a lamb that had seven eyes and seven horns and it looked like it had been slain and they fell down and worshiped it. That catches your attention, doesn't it? That's something to think of. And that's what he's trying to do right here. He's trying to catch our attention. He's trying to get us to pay attention. Because what happens is that you become so secure that you know all the answers. You become so secure that you've got it all put together. That everything that you know is right and everything that everyone else knows is wrong. Right? We actually have, uh, we have this response when you're confronted with new information that contradicts something you deeply believe, you have an actual fight-or-flight response that goes off in your body, which is why when somebody challenges something you believe, instead of saying, well, that's a really interesting idea, tell me about it, you say, you better shut up, right? We get mad, don't we? We get angry when somebody's contradicting our ideas. Why do we get mad? Why do you get angry? Why doesn't we just say, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me t Tell me more about it. No, we have this visceral reaction, and that protects us. It protects us from changing. And it is good in some ways, but it also is bad in that sometimes it keeps us from hearing God. It keeps us from hearing God. Because wherever you are now, God wants to move you. And so what this is trying to do is, 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 is surprise us a little bit and say, 
the books were opened. Which means that there was something in them. And that people were judged by what happened, by what was recorded, by what was written in those books. The secrets are unveiled. How many of y'all got secrets? Some of you are liars. I didn't know that. Thank you. <laughs> because we all got secrets. There are things that are, you have done in your past, things that you have thought in your mind, things that you have felt in your heart, and you don't want anyone to know it, right? All that comes out. All the gossip that you've been, you know, no more gossip. Everyone knows. All right? Everyone knows. That's sort of terrifying and exciting all at once, isn't it? Terrifying and exciting all at once. It's terrifying because it means that everyone will know. The things that God has always known, the things that God has seen me do, the, God, the things that I have known I shouldn't do or think or, or, or feel will all come to light and what's, what's really good news about this, and I want to highlight this for just a second. If you look back in verse 12, it said, the great and the small. The great and the small. Now, this doesn't mean like the uh, large people and the small people, although that's also true. It means those who are prominent, those who are wealthy, those who are strong, and those who are weak, who are we all know it's true. If you go to court and you have money, you have a better chance to get off, right? Why is that? Because you have power, you have influence, you can hire good lawyers, you can maybe bribe the judges, all sorts of things. Sometimes just the power of the name, the color of the skin, the quality of the accent. All of these things evoke inside of us certain kinds of prejudices. And so we have, as we all well know, an unjust justice system. Even, even if we have a good judge, there's mistakes that are made. In fact, I read today that around, and this is sort of like fact, factoid for the day, around 10,000 uh, uh, 10, people every year are wrongly convicted of a crime. Right? Wrongly convicted of a crime. What we see here is that before God, there is no wrong convictions. Before God, the great don't get off, and the small don't get shafted. What we see is that the wealthy can't use their wealth, because what does God need with it? And the poor get their day in court. Those who have been trampled down and oppressed get a voice. Those who have trampled and oppressed get silenced. That before God, there is justice. And that's good news for a world that is desperate for justice. And that's something, just as a side soapbox moment, that we as Christians should be known for. People who value justice, who stand with the oppressed, and that's something, folks, we haven't done a very good job of. We've got to work on that. This is good news, um, and it's also surprising and, and, and shocking news. And what's so interesting about this judgment motifs, most often when we read them in Scripture, they don't apply to the outside world, they apply to Christians, even though we like to take them all and apply them to the outside world, because it's so much more fun to point fingers out there. Right? Right? <laughs> 
Like, let's be honest this morning. If you can be honest in somewhere, it's here in church. It's more fun to point fingers out there. Jesus tells this story, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I know many of you know this story, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. Story time. <laughs> Jesus tells a story, and he says, there are sheep and there are goats. And at the end of, the t- end of time, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, he is going to separate them into their respective camps. The, sheep, the goats will go off to his left, and the, goats will go off to, or the, the sheep will go off to his right. The goats are going off to destruction. And the sheep are going off into his eternal rest. And you hear the sheep cry out and say, wait a second, why am I going off into judgment? Why am I receiving condemnation? Why am I being sent to hell? And Jesus says, you saw that I was hungry, you saw that I was naked, you saw that I was sick, you saw that I was in prison, and you didn't do anything for me. And what's so interesting about this story is that these goats are shocked. They say, wait a second, when did we see you? We've been doing all of this religious stuff. We've been busy doing all of these great things. We've been busy with all of our philanthropy. Don't you see what we've done? And Jesus says, that wasn't what I asked you to do. If you tell a kid, go mow the lawn, and he dusts the furniture, and you come home, you say, You're grounded, and the kid says, I dust the furniture. And you said, I didn't tell you to dust the furniture. told you to mow the lawn. It's a stupid illustration. just came to my mind, but it works, right? (laughs) Sorry. This is the kind of thing that's happening here. The sheep are equally surprised. I love that, too. They're like, wait a second. When did we do anything for you, Jesus? And Jesus says, man, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was in prison. You visited me. I was sick, and you came to see me. You called on me. You helped me. And they say, when did we do any of that stuff? And Jesus just says, enter into my rest. You see, there's a danger, church. You listening? Awake? Everybody awake? There's a danger, and you need to hear this, and you need to listen to this. Jesus has called us to do specific things. And there are other things that he, has called, he doesn't really care a whole lot about. Not everything is equal in the kingdom of God. There are things that he calls us to do. And you might be very busy about all kinds of things. You might be very famous. You might hold a prominent position in the church or in your work or in society. And God doesn't care one whit about it. Doesn't care about it. For the last day, we are going to see people who labored in the nursery. Don't no one want to go to the nursery, Right? We, we pull teeth in this building to get people to go and to spend time wiping butts because no one wants to do it. You know what Jesus is going to say on the last day? You served the least of these. Let the little children come to me. Sit them on his lap. Jesus cares about kids. Do you? Right? I mean, there's going to be all, the, the last day is just going to be a shock. We're going to be surprised. We're going to be like, the values that Jesus had of mercy and, and, and humility and meekness and peacemaking and love and charity, those things that the world looks at and says, well, we can do that if we've got time or if we're strong enough or if we're wealthy enough or, or, or whatever. But we also, of course, want to keep those people away from us so that we have our gated communities, right? That's what we want And that's what we value, and that's what we see on TV, and that's what all the songs are about, and that's what we're all working our fingers to the bone to get. And yet all of that stuff, God says, I don't care about that. And finally, 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 on the last day, we see things 
the way God sees things. We also see that unveiling, that unveiling of all of the work that you have done, all of the sacrifice that you have made, all of the time that you did go and you called on somebody because they were sick and they didn't make it to the gathering and you wanted to see if they needed soup. You, you, you came and brought them food and clothes because they couldn't make it to the store. Little things that mean nothing to anyone mean something to God. And we get to see it in all of its gold and glory. There's this passage in um, Second, or no, First Corinthians chapter 3. I marked it because I wanted to share it with you. It's such an interesting passage. It says, um, 13, yes. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest in the day of judgment. And it will be disclosed because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test the work that you have done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself might be saved, but as through fire. And so we have this imagery of our work as Christians being tested. All of the things that you've been doing for God or not doing for God, all of that stuff gets tested, gets tested with fire. And if it was done with pure motivation for love of the person, and if it was done for pure motivation for love of God, and you've actually done that work, God tests it, and it's a gem. It's gold. But if you've been a pew sitter, if you haven't done anything for God, or if your work in the church has been so you can climb the ladder and people look up to you, or if your work out in the world has been so that people look up to you, God says, no, that burns up that straw. You might be saved, you might enter the kingdom of God, but you're going in empty-handed. Going in empty-handed. Now, when I say empty-handed, I gotta just take a little pause here and make sure that you understand that I'm not saying that we're working all our lives, sacrificing for the kingdom of God, so like Scrooge McDuck, we get like a, 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 a big old bank full of gold coins that we get to you know, dive and swim around in, in the kingdom of God. No, when the, when the crowns are given to these 24 elders in Revelation chapter 5, and they see Jesus, what do they do with the crowns? Do you remember? They throw them. They say, I, I don't have anything to give you other than these works. And we cast those works before the Lamb, and he looks at all that we have given, and he says, well done. Well done. Now, all of that is good news and all of that leads us to this. Oops, I turned it off on myself. That the church is actually looking forward to the judgment. Because when we see judgment, we don't see punishment. We see revelation. We see the day that justice happens. We see the day when things get made right, where we finally see God unveil all of his plans and all of the secrets and all of the suffering and all that stuff gets wrapped up. But listen to me, listen to me, for the world, the world is seeing judgment too. The world around us knows judgment's coming. Why else would we be so desperate to live so much in the moment, right? We gotta live it right now because life is ending. Life is ending. And, and so the world uh, is receiving the same kind of judgment if we see this in, um, oh, did I read verse 13? I didn't. Let's read verse 13, 13 through 15. 
And the sea gave up its dead and all that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead and all that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to the work that they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And that is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, notice this, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we have this great moment of um, judgment. We do. And it's illustrated. If you can switch the next slide there, Asya. Um, we have this great moment of, of judgment that is going to happen. And, and there's this great separation, again, just like the sheep and the goats. Only this time, all that is old is passing away. And behold, everything is going to become new. But it is a terrifying moment. Because all of the books that are opened up and all of the things that are done, the Christians might receive some reward for it. But none of that saves you. Notice that, verse 15. None of that saves you. Where does your name have to be written? In the book of life. So all those books of deed, whether good or bad, where do they get you? Nowhere. But the book of life, that's the thing that gets you, right? So what we see in Revelation is nothing different than we see in Paul, we see in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as works, lest no man can boast. So that no one can say, well, God, you owe this to me. God says, I don't owe you any. Well, I do owe you something. And it's, it's hot and it's a lake, right? That's what you are owed. But out of the grace and work of Jesus Christ, I gift you eternal life. Your name is written in the book of life. If you have not placed faith in Jesus Christ... Your destiny is judgment. Your destiny is a lake of fire. And um, If you could advance another slide there for me. Next slide. Thank you. That's my lightning bolt of doom. God has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. Right? And I know, that, I know that this is the point at which we sort of get a little uncomfortable and we start to uh, shrink in our seats a little bit. But, but judgment, but hell, hell is a real thing. The scriptures declare it. Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet if they won't listen to you because it is more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city itself was destroyed by fire from heaven. It is more tolerable for the people that God dropped burning rocks on in the day of judgment than for those who have heard the grace and work of Jesus Christ and said, no, thank you. It's fearful, right? It's a fearful statement. And I, I'm not, I don't want to mince words with you. I don't want to come down like fire and brimstone, but I want to be real and I want to be honest about what the scriptures say, about what Jesus declared. That's what Jesus declared. Uh, in Acts, we read the apostles teaching that God has fixed a day and when he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's Acts 17. It is appointed unto a man to die once and after that, the judgment, if we go on sinning willfully, and this is more for the church than for not, but it also applies to the whole world. If we go on sinning willfully, if you choose to sin over and over and over again, this is your process, this is your way of life, this is how you, how you move in the world. After receiving a knowledge of the truth, if you've heard today that you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can receive the Holy Spirit and you don't care about it, there is no other sacrifice that can be made for your sins. Jesus made it. If you don't accept it, there's nothing else. But a certain and terrifying expectation of judgment 
and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries of God. Now, just think with me for a moment. If you are going to build a kingdom and you're going to live there, that's where you're going to live. And you want to have people there, right? Because a kingdom by yourself, how much fun is that, right? And you have somebody to play, you know, Xbox with, right? Yes? And so you're going to build a kingdom and you are going to live in that kingdom and you want to populate that kingdom. What kind of people are you going to populate that kingdom with? Xboxers. A, well, it's actually PS4. I was just doing that for Eric, but, you know. Xboxers have another kingdom down the road. <laughs> You're not going to populate that kingdom with people who lie and steal and cheat, fornicate. You're not going to populate that kingdom with people who are going to bring into the kingdom things that are wicked. They don't fit. The two don't fit. And so if we're talking about a time when God is finally going to set the scales right, and he's going to bring about a culmination of a great kingdom in which he is going to dwell in the midst of his people forever and ever, could he possibly bring in people who don't want to follow his rule? No. You have a chance now to accept the rule of God and let your life reflect it. And if you say, I want to accept his rule, but I don't want to let my life reflect it, you're out. It doesn't fit. If you say, I don't want to accept this rule and I don't want my life to reflect it, you're, you don't belong. You've said no. This is the moment where we reveal whether we said yes with our lives, not just our words, but our lives, and whether we've said no with our words and our lives. All of that is made plain. There's no secrets here. There's no secrets in this message. There's no secrets in the gospel. There's no secrets in what's going to happen. There is going to be a day of judgment. But I want you to notice again in verse 14, what goes into this lake of fire first? What? Death. Death goes into the lake. Hades is a way of saying the grave, the place where you keep the dead, right? That goes into the lake of fire as well. That all that is disorder, that all that is chaos, that all that is sinful brokenness of humanity and all those who have lived their lives that way, all of that is being extinguished so that God might build something pure, something beautiful, a new heavens and a new earth. And as we continue on in this series, we will continue to see what that all looks like. But I want Today, as we, <coughs> excuse me, as we wrap up this message, I want us to walk away from this judgment scene, uh, as odd as this might sound, encouraged. Go ahead and hit the next slide there for me. Encouraged. Because what we are seeing in this judgment scene is that all of the old is being cast off. It's being washed away, it's being destroyed, it's being burned up, it's being removed, whatever, whatever word you want to use, all brokenness, all death, all destruction, all of this stuff, all of the injustice in the world, all of that is being removed, and instead what is being replaced by it is God's glory, God's mercy, God's life, that all those who took that Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for I will call them my kids. 
Those people who took that seriously and said, not only do I claim that with my mouth, but I claim it with my life. I claim it with everything that I am. I want it. I'm living that way. You will get trampled on in this world. Don't let anybody sell you something else. Like, this is not a place for like palatable Christianity where you can just sort of sing a few songs and go home and be happy. Like, that's not real, folks. It's not real. The meek don't inherit the earth until this day. The humble don't get exalted until this day. The merciful don't receive mercy until this day. Go to a judge and ask him for mercy. And he says, I give you law. Go to God and say, I want mercy. He says, I give you my son. And this is the call and cry of the gospel. To hear this good word and to let it transform you. Let it shape you, but also to let it fuel you. Because I think mostly in this room today, we have Christians. And if you know that this is the fate of the world, you know that this is the fate of your neighbors and your friends and your family and people who who don't know Jesus, man, you should be on fire to share this gospel with them. Not just because you don't want them to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire, but because you love them and you want them to know the mercy and grace and depth and love of God. That's what we're about. That's why we say share Jesus, share Jesus, share Jesus. Because we want people to know Jesus. Because he's so amazing. Because he wants to transform everything. And in Revelation, we catch a glimpse of that glory. Catch a glimpse of that glory. Let it change you. Let it shape you. And let it drive you out to share Jesus with others. Amen? Let's stand and praise our Lord.